So, the ally of discernment, able to differentiate black from white, pleasure from pain, it's not, not a remote faculty, it's operating all the time. Uh, stress from non-stress, uh, but it needs education, needs learning because it doesn't always get the right call, actually. <laughs> you know. Because we're getting input from both the body and in the sense bases, things look agreeable. So we can go into that and then find out that wasn't very good. Actually, you know, I just bought a rotten tomato. <laughs> yeah, I just bought a piece of dud equipment. I just matched up with the person I find actually I've got all kinds of issues with. So we do recognize that this uh, discernment needs some guidance in itself to come to fruition. And this is what the other indriyas are for. Sati, mindfulness. Uh, samadhi, strengthening composure. So we're not jumping into immediate discriminations. We're just checking what is the discriminating process and how do we discern? What does discern? Is it our value judgments? Is it the opinions of other people? Is it our own biases and habits? Is it a self-interest, slightly biased and distorted? Yeah. Just what I think is good. If you don't get it, something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. So I want to realize that the absolute paramount um, requirement of discernment is to clear the biases. Clear the biases that discernment is prone to. Right. So we actually are looking at things levelly, not just what I think or what I like, but actually this is the wholesome. This is the beautiful. This is the freedom. Just getting what I want isn't freedom. Seems like it. <laughs> and I think, uh, well, Speaking personally, I followed that line of thought. Uh, freedom of expression, freedom to move, freedom to do what I felt like, freedom to follow my instincts and intuitions. And maybe that's necessary in order to just get the knocks and the adjustments and to stay with it and do your learning. A bit of bruising. You know, how else are you going to learn? Mm. But we do develop the discernment and say, well, okay, in your experimentation, let's make this so it's moral. So I'm not going to mess somebody else up <laughs> in, my <laughs> in my movements. And then you've really refined that because you see, well, actually, where we can perhaps most reliably um, sustain our um, orientation is to others as to myself others as to myself, that ethical orientation. 
others count, others are part of my experience on all levels. Mm-hmm. And because others count, otherness is part of my experience. The appropriate response to that is, you could say, two sides of the coin, ethical and then kindly. Right? They fit together. Ethics without kindness is just law-abiding. <laughs> kindness without ethics is just uh, sentimental. <laughs> Two together. Right? So this does help to establish our first basis for discerning. This is you know, unskillful, doesn't lead to the welfare of others or inhibits their welfare and so on inhibits my welfare. So we begin to discern the unskillful. Even if it's not so pleasant at first, okay, it's skillful and adjusting to discern the beauty in aligning to the skillful. And it's not just right and wrong, it's not just moral judgments. The nature of the skillful is the heart comes out is open, unwavering, you have value. And value is very important. Because if you don't have value internally, you're always seeking it. The value is something out there. Now, often I've referred to this phrase internal-external and trying to you know, tease that a little bit. Uh, contemplating chitta internally, contemplating chitta externally. Mm. And so there is this fundamental sense of an internal and external. Mm. And this is the nature of consciousness. So when there's the arising of consciousness, you know, six consciousnesses, body, eye, ear, nose, tongue, mind, thinking mind. There's a sense as an object and as a subject. Right. So, see something, there's a seeing, and I am the seer. That's out there, I am here. Yeah. Hearing consciousness, I'm in here, it's around me. So slightly different positioning. Yeah. And they get more and more, if you go down that list, they get more and more intimate, right? You know, I can see something, it doesn't necessarily see me, it's out there. I can hear something, it's around me. That's a little more emotionally <laughs> sensitive. And then we get to the really poignant stuff. It gets up my nose. <laughs> That's pretty intimate, isn't it? It's entering me. Tongue, it gets down my throat. <laughs> Physically, you know, you feel you're kind of being invaded by something or something's entering you. In that sense, that's pretty intimate. Then body sense, everything that touches me, I touch. I touch anything, it touches me. This is a very vulnerable, effective boundary, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, it's extremely acute. So they carry these different signals. And then mental consciousness is just, you know. <laughs> it's... Uh, 
I'm in it, it's in me, uh, sometimes half in it, uh, it's over me, it's under me, it's through me, it's round me, uh, I'm somehow in all this, but I can't even tell which bit is me, it's just, you know, it's, it's a scramble. Which bit is the me bit in the mind? Yeah. So, you know, mind is extremely, extremely volatile, extremely sensitive, mental consciousness. And then there are things that affect it. So we're affected by sight, sound, touch, so forth, in different ways. Human beings generally favour the visual sense because it gives them some distance. Then you can just switch it off. Have some say over it. We're mostly orient through that. Or we can think things. And when our thinking mind can organise them and, you know, negate them, judge them, blank them out, and so forth. The mutuality sense can be absent in the thinking mind. Right? Thinking, you become an object. I think about you. <laughs> so what? <laughs> you can do that. The thinking mind can lose heart. Abstractions, statistics, numbers, names. Yeah, because uh, you know, it, it provides that possibility for a distinct sense of self and other, even though the very sense of self within that is itself endlessly divided. It's not a stable self at all. The sense of self itself becomes something there's a criticism of or an uncertainty around or a what can I make of this and what's my true nature and do I exist or not exist and am I getting it right or wrong? So that self in the mind actually isn't a substantial quality at all or it's actually part of the mix. And so to get perspective on that, how do we do that? It's just the nature of consciousness. As an internal an external. So even in the thinking mind, there's an external, which is my thoughts about me, or you, or it, or that, or the world in general. And there's a subject, which is, how am I going to manage this? Is this going okay? Am I on the right track? Have I done it well enough? Could I do better? You know? So that, that is constantly generating more, more to manage. So around that sense of internal, external, or subject-object, there's a very potent edge in which phenomena are welling up. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, just even in the primary basis of body, before we even can see anything in our gestation, we are embodied. We're picking up signals, embodied signals. So that's your kind of most fundamental birth pattern is embodied. Mm-hmm. This is where it begins. You're sensing the presence of otherness. And you know you're in it. And hopefully it's it's a warm, nourishing otherness. 
not always, depending on what's happening for the mother. Taking drugs, anxious, depressed, you, you get it. Those chemicals, those signals, signs seep in. And then there's separation. You know, you're out in a world where the other senses open up. And then the mind sense starts to form to try to organize all this otherness. What's right and wrong, safe, pleasant, agreeable, disagreeable. So this is the, it's the issue of consciousness, of being conscious and birth and uh, what occurs with that. And, and so citta, that fundamental awareness that's there, it's germinal stages at conception. Sensing, being in something. Don't quite know what it is, but sensing being held in something, perhaps benevolently held in something. Very fundamental. Then maybe different shimmerings of uncertainty or, yeah, and then leaving it into a world which is First of all, utterly confusing. So, as the citta develops, it, it generates these what are called these five aggregates: uh, you know, consciousness and form, sense of a presence of something. Something is present, a there that's present. Those are the two ends, and the signalling between the two, we generate degree of feeling. This is agreeable, this is disagreeable, they orient around that. And activation, what to do about it. And in between the two, because uh, the, the, the feeling really refers to the immediate tactile impressions, yeah, which are adequate, <laughs> you know, if you're in the womb, but they're not very adequate when you're out of it. So you've got to interpret sight, sound which doesn't generate a feeling by itself, so you have to interpret it, mind, impression, perception, that looks friendly to me, the upturned lips, looks friendly. Ah, you know, and then we check it out. Downturned lips, looks unfriendly, yeah. Voice tones, sounds friendly, sounds hostile. Interpretation, perception begins in order to to find the sense of stability, agreeable, comfortable, safe. Yes. So two requests are safety, security, primary, absolute primary, secondary nourishment. If I don't have safety, <laughs> then, you know, right, uh, nourishment's a secondary issue. <laughs> so those are the two signals, two reference points. How do I find that in this world of otherness? Mm. That's going on. And naturally, all interpretations are going on around it. And the biggest interpretation that we do is other, when we transfer other people, otherness into other people, which is a very powerful signal for we're approved of, uh, we're not going to be blamed, punished, attacked, and we might even be offered something agreeable to lift us up, you know, somebody's going to help us out. 
those signals. So and then the possibility of, of that not happening is definitely there too. And naturally, we want to make the good stuff happen. So how can I organize this? What do I do to make that happen? Where are we going to get it from? Mm. <laughs> you know? But otherness is other. It can't be, it can't be organized. I mean, we can have a good attempt, but finally otherness is other. <laughs> so there's going to be a certain edge of not quite enough yet, or could be, but probably might disappear in a while, or good enough for now, or really not good enough. Yeah? So there's this edge. Um, yeah? And... In that experience, certainly in the growing stages, we experience that, what I call a dissonance. Not certain yet. Is it okay now? How long will it last? Should I do something to make it happen? That dissonance is uh, something not quite fulfilled yet, not quite complete yet. Actually, probably something not quite right, don't quite know what it is, something not quite right, um, yet, you know, not enough yet, loose ends, incomplete, unguaranteed, uncertain, insecure, not quite right yet, but maybe it could be, so then that not quite right yet is a signal that kind of starts to generate volitional twitches <laughs> and because it, it's such a, uh, a repeated signal that volitional twitch turns into a stream yeah, of responding to what's not quite finished right okay yet or actually is directly uncomfortable yeah. that becomes myself Anything that's constant or familiar, repeated, intimate, reflexive. Yeah, in other words, it's not a decision, it just happens. That must be myself, my core being, right? What else is there? And it's somehow I'm still not able to make things quite right yet. I seem to experience some hostility occasionally and things leaving that I didn't want to leave and things arriving that I didn't want to arrive. They're not quite being able to fulfill what I wanted to have fulfilled. There must be something wrong with me. I don't quite know what it is, but there must be something wrong with me. And but I don't quite know what it is, so I'll imagine Everything's wrong with me. <laughs> if I cover all the bases <laughs> to make sure I've got it all covered, then, then the inner critic begins. I'll tell you what's wrong with you, if you like. Let's get to work, you know. And where's that the inner critic lives 
within that the mental consciousness as as a function that's trying to organize things to make sure things will be all right we have to check that and that and that and make that happen that happen we look at results still didn't work something wrong with you so it turns that volatile sensitive extremely inflammatory aspect of consciousness of mind consciousness generates and internalizes the sense of dissonance or discord to become myself and then from that position everything proceeds i see a flawed world i see a dissonant world i see a group of people who don't quite meet my needs um, i look at a body that is not that great and actually looks like it's getting a bit worse you know <laughs> and, <laughs> and so on <laughs> uh, where i live the pin neighbors you know and then my practice meditation practice you could get the red ink out could do better <laughs> report card c minus could do better <laughs> try harder to get it right <laughs> and so we follow that thing yeah and she following the track of dissonance and following the track of dissonance you can only arrive at dissonance <laughs> this is why the buddha said dukkha has to be understood <laughs> not solved <laughs> or kind of solved but not quite the way we'd imagine it solved by releasing that craving that instinctive reflex craving to make things right so i will feel the me will feel steady and comfortable wow that sounds miserable why shouldn't i feel steady and comfortable well the point is that that quality which is experiencing this dissonance is actually only like a, a veil or a secondary quality the primary the primary quality that we're not entering it's not awakened not illuminated yet that releases that dissonant self yeah that divided that dissonant self and recognizing actually because it's so ungratifiable and unsatiable and, and flickering and you can witness it there can be an unknowing of that and that knowing has to be much more than just the clinical observation which is you know doesn't contain the emotional resonance is necessary to handle dissonance in a kindly and compassionate way So what can occur if we're just witnessing is a sense of you know life is schmuck but they get on with it you know <laughs> or forget about it or you know like just let it pass we'll die sooner or later and get out of here <laughs> merciful extinction 
And sometimes, some of these early texts, they even describe Nibbana as extinction. Finally, you know, euthanasia, <laughs> or whatever it is, spiritual euthanasia. And, you know. But then, you know, when you look at what the Buddha's saying, you say, look, there's certain things. I wouldn't have taught this if it wasn't for your welfare. I wouldn't have taught this if I didn't know it myself. And I wouldn't have taught this if you can't do it. I wouldn't have wasted my time. You can do it. It does make you feel more comfortable, steady, balanced, the supreme sukha ease. And you can do it. You just got to adjust your attention to the modalities of being that can experience that. Jitta is one word for that. Jitta is that which can be released. So the jitta, you know, can be explained or looked at in different ways. We could say it's that fundamental awareness that resonates, is sensitive. And in the occluded state, it's very much caught in its or involved with its sensitivities, its vibrations. It's likened to a spider that produces silk from its own body, weaves a web and then runs around on it. Producing the the silk or the gossamer or spider thread from its own belly, weaves a web and and runs around on it. And it's somehow glued to that web. Hmm? The web is mostly space. These very fine threads. The spider doesn't know the space. Mm. doesn't trust the space because it's got to keep creating things to hold on to mm. so we, you know we're cultivating sati, samadhi the allies, they're beginning to introduce to citta certain places of openness or emptying not in a blank cold way but an emptiness that's full and so, very simply, example, say, when we experience the out-breath and the breathing muscles complete and release, and the airflow subsides, energy hovers and it's open, unoccupied. Hmm. It takes a little bit of practice to, to, to enter that, to almost to relax one's knowingness, one's thoughtfulness, one's sense of, am I getting it right? Yeah. One's scanning of sensation. And when the sensations recede, as they do in breath meditation, what do you hold on to? Well, you, you have to really trust breathing as a process, it does this perfectly well, it empties and returns. So, as I'm saying, as it is with body, so it is with citta, there can be that going into the non-conceivable, 
the non-measurable, <laughs> open, attentive, not waiting for something to happen, not naming it, not claiming it, just that release. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. You don't feel estranged, lost, spaced out. It feels good. The jitta knows itself, we could say. Ah. And that's, you know, that's a given if we can track that. And what it is that can track that, when the measuring mind can't track it, Jitta tracks it. Sensitive jitta tracks it. This is the activation of the kaya sankara, body energy activating, vibrating, vital, and this is where it. Oh. And I didn't do that. I didn't make it happen. There's a kind of faith. We trust the process. See how these indriya keep returning every step of the process. A faith to not know, to not have a strategy, an answer, a what next. Feeling how in that, that's not a flaccid or stagnant state, it's actually extremely vibrant, peaceful. The energy is there. One can acknowledge it. There can be a recognition of that. And as you pick up that signal, that perception, chitta begins to learn something quite profound. Mm -hmm. So this is the field work, isn't it? So if, if we are using that sati to bear something in mind through its whole process, you're going to notice that what we experience as things are really like waveforms that swell and subside and there's a kind of a subsiding and an opening within that process. Right? So you're kind of taking a little bit more primary or more heart-sensed than just the thinking mind says, okay, you're thinking about this and there's that and there's this and there's that and you're thinking about her and there's future and the, the, the definite distinct packages of things you're dealing with. Which from that particular way of looking at it is true. But if you go back to heart sense, you just say there is thoughtfulness. There is thoughtfulness that is trying to organise things. There is thoughtfulness that's trying to build like a fairly steady reality around me. That's what it's doing. And is that stressful? Is it necessary? Is it comfortable? It is stressful. It's not comfortable. Maybe it's not necessary. (laughs) Because when we have that possibility, proposal, check out do you have faith in that would you like to try
You notice things don't exactly begin and end. If you contemplate thought process, you try to find the beginning of a thought, it doesn't just pop up. It pops up, it moves quickly, but if you get more calm, steadied, you'll notice that there's a sort of a stirring and a welling up. Things well up and they form. It starts out as a kind of micro moment of and then it starts to form, verbalise. It doesn't actually get guillotined, it just comes to sort of often it just links up to another one, jumps to the next one. So it doesn't really begin, doesn't really end. It more like wells up, subsides, ignites, catalyzes. So it's this constant thought stream that can be occurring, which would actually no clear beginning and ending. Now something that has no beginning, no ending, isn't really a great candidate for solidity, is it? <laughs> it's just a gesture. It's just a gesture of energy, gesturing. But potent, intimate, volatile, and then catalyzes more. So that gives that impression, right? So, you know, a meditator will probably recognize, okay, I'm not my thinking mind, my thinking mind happens, but I am, it's happening to me. Definitely happening, not happening to me, but happening to me. What gives rise to that? The degree of intensity. Yeah, so if those thoughts, emotions or whatever, are stirring, there's a certain intensity around them, that, that intensification whereby you know, I'm getting ready to be triggered one way or another, that intensification becomes, this is mine. Somebody else's thought is just, man, so yeah, okay. <laughs> but this one's mine because there's an intensification. And with increasing recognition, not of the, but of the sense of these things occurring and what I call a heartful response to that, which is healing some of the jumpy, uh, accusatory and reaching out and sturdiness of it all, dispassion and the sense of it happening to a me begins to lose its intensity. And the me sense loses its intensity. And when the, the me sense loses intensity, there's not so much kick movement for action or reaction. It's just... And in that cooling of that process phenomenon, the whole energy stream cools and, and subsides and the wave, wave current ameliorates doesn't jump up and down it's so uh -huh. but the domain in which it's occurring becomes more felt warm 
kindly, compassionate, steady, free from need to prove, deny, refute, accuse, claim. That just stirs things up. Oh, maybe this is the way. You realize that, you know, so this ongoing process. And naturally all of us, as we kind of pull the plug on our actions, when you come to retreat or you're meditating, you say, okay, let's just switch off the actions. Then naturally <laughs> what will come to the top of the agenda are the topics that have got the most volatile, sensitive potency in them, right? Things I haven't finished yet, my concern about so-and-so, my worry about where I'm living, my life situation, my relationship with so-and-so, or he's elderly and dying, or she's got cancer or something, all these are totally understandable, war, famine, pestilence, disaster, you know, plenty of that going on. And then the world that arises is the world of our potencies. <laughs> the world that arises, that, that forms the other, becomes the world of our uncompleted or, or the potencies that we really haven't been able to, to resolve yet. So you can see sometimes on a retreat where actually you know, nobody's getting on your case, food is offered, shelter and pleasant place to live, you know, and no one bothering you and silent, polite, respectful. God is in hell. It's <laughs> 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 because there's something wrong with me, that's why. <laughs> it definitely is something wrong with me. Because everybody else is so nice. It must be my fault. <laughs> why can't I get out there where there's lots of people who I can find a fault with rather than me? <laughs> you know, where some of that, the volition can keep shoving things around, make me feel I'm doing something useful to make things better. You know, I can't do it. So I'm stuck in this paradigm of dissonance. And then I, my mind then generates a dissonant world. Hmm? All the things I haven't done yet. The things I did do weren't so good. Mm -mm. Things other people have done to me, not good either. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, the Buddha says in this very body, with its perceptions and consciousness is the arising of the world and the passing of the world and the way leading to the passing of the world of which he's not talking about planet earth he's talking about that projected potencies in consciousness that meet us, touch us, confront us, invite us puzzle us, bewilder us He said, you don't get to the end of the world by running across it. Mm. But in this very body, it's consciousness and perceptions and feelings. Mm. So he's placing that. 
It's not to say there are no others. But what I actually experience touching my heart is my impressions of others, isn't it? Let's get really accurate on that. My impressions of others. And my impressions of others can be coloured by this dissonance, which may be very early, even infantile dissonance, because in the body all that is remembered. Mm. All that is remembered is embodied. So we can be kind of not really conscious, we're actually still carrying that sense of this is the one who didn't meet me. This is the one who disapproved of me. This is the one I wasn't good enough for. You know, now it's her or him. <laughs> you know, this is the one who made me feel small and pathetic. And, you know, so you, these, these dissonances can arise. But so is it okay? Maybe so. But what kind of energy is happening there? Fear, anxiety, uh, worry, resentment, guilt, inadequacy. What's needed to turn the current of this world creation? Turn the tide of that world creation? Kindness, goodwill, willing to be here, compassion, willing to open to the dissonant, meeting that uncomfortable sense as it begins mm. gladness and experience even gladness in the capacity to do that in one's faith in one's energy in one's persistence oh. mm. and all these topics are really I am actually in a great occasion for meeting my world and I have the capacities to move through that. Mm. Equanimity, it's going to take some time. (laughs) We're not actually moving in time anyway. The citta doesn't move in time or space. Those are interpretations that it generates. In the heart, there's no time, no space. There is karma, there is tendencies. So whether you're 10 years old, 50 years old, 90 years old, you haven't changed, uh, you haven't aged a second (laughs) in terms of chitta. The movement is through karma. The grief, I've met grief, understood grief, understood the arising of grief, felt it, known it, and compassionate towards it. It has thanked me for meeting it. It has said, move on. I've met frustration, resentment, disappointment, feeling left out, not good enough. It has challenged me. I've met it. I have not fought it, denied it, wrangled with it. I have met the primary starvation that lies at at the root of frustration. I am not getting enough. I have met that. 
and turn towards it, giving it heart. It's thanked me. It said, move on. So in this way, you know, these very primary signals that can be sitting at the base of our complexities of our complex world, these primary signals can be resonated with. This is really, really useful. <laughs> you know, and when we spend time on retreat as the eddies and vortexes of our, of our situations begin to settle a little, you can be able to tap into the depths of some of these primary signals that you may have had for many years because they don't age a second. <laughs> if you meet them, if you meet them, they'll train you to meet them. You can't meet them with yourself. The injuries meet them. Your allies meet them. Your faith, your energy, your sati your growing quality of calm, confidence, and your discernment. This is a signal, and your discernment is both about the nature of the thing and the path. This thing, it's not a thing, it's an energy to be respected. It's not something to dismiss, blame myself or others for, uh, feel oppressed by, all those resonances have to be put aside. Meet it. Yeah. Very difficult to put in words, something that's not verbal. But I'm just giving suggestions. Meet it at an embodied level. That's where the primary signals arise from. Our emotions arise from our bodies. Um, Essentially, you know, if you, you're learning to bring heart, and naturally, in a in a situation, a life context, each individually dependent, but a life context that most of us, if we looked around, would say, frankly, there's a lot of abuse, there's a lot of destruction, there's a lot of deeply disturbing qualities in it. It's not entirely a safe realm. In fact, it's a, some people it's extremely precarious. Mm. What's well, the response to that? Would be just you know, oh, duck or <laughs> scram. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> right, what can I do? Well, you know, look the other way or something like that. Mm. Saying those, those are totally understandable. And now we doesn't work. So, so meeting the heart, however it cowers or avoids or scurries off or hardens or freezes. I don't want to feel this anymore. Closes down. And we can see this happening in, in uh, the world in general. The hard, the closing down of heartfulness in the public domain 
of empathy, law and order, not love and compassion. <laughs> not love and morality, but law and order. And we got the police to back it up, you know, or the forces to back it up. Mm. Yeah, so we can see it's loss of heart in, in the domain. And realistically, you say, well, I'm not going to lose mine. Because when loss of heart, all the injury are gone. <laughs> you know, uh, and what are you? Robot, dead robot, robot walking. <laughs> yeah. So, but then of course, when the heart is closed, it takes quite a lot of gentle massage to tweak it, ask it to open up. And sometimes the most uncomfortable bit is that opening, you know? It's like, uh, if you go in, into deep cold and you get frostbite, bite, you frostbite on your fingers, because you don't feel them. When they come out of the frost, that's when you feel the pain. Numb tissue doesn't hurt. Living tissue does. But there's a pain that is, is healing, a sign of healing. It's coming alive. It's groaning, struggling. It's coming alive. It's coming alive. Now, enter it with love. Enter it with the heart of compassion. Mm. It will it will thank you and it will grow. And just just discerning this, discerning where the world begins, discerning where our world begins, knowing it, uh, the world begins, it arises at this point. Mm. The signs and signals are embedded here. Mm. Yeah. And there's a path to the end of that that's here. And there's a result. There's an ending of that. Mm. And in the ending of that, it's not just... It's all, you know... The heart is, is bigger, richer, fuller. And for any of us who seek the welfare of others as well as ourselves, we need that resource. So this is not just I'm looking after mine, Jack, but this is also how am I going to help anybody or anything if I'm still you know, shuddering and heaving and cracking up and feeling angry and frustrated. And, and so this is the kind of what we're encouraging in this retreat time. There are many challenges we'll have to meet in our lives, all of us. Um, but we're building the resource to meet life as it happens, not to avoid it. So let's take some time for direct practice. Thank you for your attention. <coughs> 